How are we going to transcend ideas of health and care? How are we going to transcend geographical borders of how we can work together? This state-by-state shit in this country based on state-by-state who can get equipment, state-by-state who will be quarantined? Forget about it. Or globally to not even understand why are we not calling on China and Korea and asking them, what did you learn in this moment? What do we need to learn from you because of imperialism um, and anti-Asian racism? But to just transcend. This is a moment to transcend physical, physiological, emotional, spiritual borders. Welcome back to Fortification. My name is Caitlin Breedlove, and I'm really happy to be co-hosting with some special guests who are going to introduce themselves this three-part series of Fortification. It's always been a project that's been very satisfying to my personal interest and curiosity about people that I want to be in conversation with. It's how the idea started. Um, So many of you at home that listen to this podcast have said that's why you listen, because you're really interested in who we have conversations with and hearing from folks directly. And in this incredibly intense time of COVID-19 and the impact for so many of the communities that are are represented both in this three-part series and in so many other communities that many of us organize in, this felt like a really important idea um, that did not come from me, but came from guests, comrades, and um, incredible leaders and organizers in this time. And so I wanna hand the mic directly over to them, but I want to say that I hope those of you listening at home, we've heard so many times that a lot of the purpose of fortification for y'all is that you listen while you're washing dishes, you listen while you're taking care of um, little beings, elder beings, um, four-legged beings. Um, And you listen when you actually need to hear a word or a set of words um, from folks who are also struggling and trying to figure out ways forward and are bringing their their bodies of knowledge, their wisdom and and their work and their contribution, which is what we have, what we do with our precious time and our bodies um, to this conversation. So I want to, without further ado, um, hand the mic over to my my comrade and friend, Susan Raffo, and just name that throughout this series, um, this idea came to us from from our friends. And so this uh, three-part special series is actually leapfrogging the um, rollout the next season where you will hear a full conversation with Erica Woodland. Um, and also to remind long-term listeners that the, in the first season of Fortification, we spoke with Kara Page. She reminded me the other day we were in, um, in Brooklyn in an underground room. Um, and you, you also have probably heard the two-parter that um, we did with Susan Raffo because it actually ended up being such a long conversation because I had so many things to ask her that we actually made it, made it two parts. So um, just a, a sort of process reminder that that's coming. And Susan, take it away. Thank you, Caitlin. And I'm going to choose to interpret what you just said as being, there was so much really awesome to say as opposed to what my daughter tells me, which is that it's because I'm so long-winded. So I'll sit with that. I'll sit with the elegant reading of that. And hello, friends who are sitting wherever you are sitting in your kitchens, as Caitlin said, in your cars, 
probably at this moment, either alone or with people who you love and are already in relationship with. Um, we see you. And I want to tell you what I'm seeing right now is I'm seeing seven people on the screen. Um, I'm going to tell you who's there and how they got there. And then I'm uh, going to tell you some about what the conversation is that we're going to have today. Um, I am looking at a screen that has, in addition to Kaylin, also has Nora Rasman, who is part of what makes fortification possible. And we are deeply grateful to both Caitlin and Nora for their work. I'm also looking at Kara Page and Anjali Taneja, who are uh, people who I've had the privilege of working with for 11 years um, on a project, which I'll name in a different, in a, in a moment, which is what this podcast emerge, emerges from. And then I'm also looking at Erica Woodland and Sher Hassan, who are two beloved, deeply um, powerful people who Anjali and Kara and I asked to be a part of this conversation as we sit with you, linking arms in our isolated homes right now and wondering what this moment means, um, wondering how we make meaning of the meaning itself, um, and then looking to each other exactly as Caitlin lifted. Um, so thank you for taking the time to be with us. Um, for the last 11 years, Anjali Kara and myself have been working on a project that looks at the histories that created the systems of medicine and healthcare, which are so visible everywhere right now, and for which many elements of which we are deeply grateful right now as they are caring for Kena community, and also um, systems that are defined by and bound by the original wounds of this land that are racialized and profit-driven, and that are also embedded with practices and histories that have turned bodies into objects rather than dignified beings. We are in a moment of seeing all of these things, the care that we need being there, and also these histories that are, um, that are not showing up for those of us who have been most impacted over generations by the continued violence in this land. Um, we're also at a time where we are seeing, uh, our work together has been to uh, look for interventions on this on these systems on the medical industrial complex as well as to really lift up deepen and support um, interventions on the MIC and collective strategies that are focused on safety and wellness many of those that are deeply grounded in culture that's what we've been paying attention to both individually and for Kara Anjali and myself by looking at a medical industrial complex timeline looking at that history looking for the patterns that have happened across time to help us to dream differently what care looks like moving forward and to not get lost in the same tricks and the same um, um, incomplete reforms that have not brought enough change in yet. Um, and so out of that, we've talked about, so you might have already heard, or this might be the first that you're hearing, if there's a three-part um, conversation that we're having. The first is looking at before, what are the histories that have created this moment? The second is being in the present moment and looking at what are the gaps in the care that is being provided and what are the things that are being lifted right now that we should individually and collectively, locally and globally be deeply proud of and orienting to that are not confused about centering the dignity of people's lives and the right for people to determine their own care in this moment. Um, and what we are doing today is that we are looking at the future. And of course the future is everything that starts after each breath. It's every breath that comes over. The future are the things that we've just not yet experienced or known. Um, and we're sitting today and we asked um, both Shira and Erica to be a part of this conversation. As we talk about this moment and we think through, we dream, we ask questions, we admit to deep unknowing, 
about what feels possible for our future survival. How is our future both defined by the histories that are not finished, but even more than that, what is this moment lifting as opportunities to do, to be differently, sometimes in the most smallest concrete ways, and sometimes in visions where we're still dreaming through the actual steps to get there. We want to know about possibilities for our collective safety and wellness within the context of cities, within the context of rural and wild places on tribal lands, along and between borders. We want to know what this moment is doing um, in support of broader abolition and decolonization expressions of our future lives. What is possible? We're wondering about opportunities that, that those on the call might be seeing um, that are showing up that have the potential to move us towards our futures. I'm thinking of how many prophetic visions and where I live on this land, I think about um, the seven sacred teachings that are talking about this moment as being a time where we are, we are seeking to, we are doing uh, to, to, My words just got massive because I wanted to use big words like shift and transform. And it's just, it's much smaller. It's much closer to ground than that, literally. And even the way we're talking to each other on this call right now, how are we just becoming differently um, in ways that are about our collective survival and not individual survival? Um, where is this present moment taking us? What does or might the economy of healthcare, this collective practice of care right now as we have um, multiple responses that are new and many that are just deepened that have already been here that are about lifting and making visible all kinds of collective strategies for making sure that those who are known and unknown and beloved to us are are not alone even while they are physically isolated within their homes um, and we want to know or think about how do we hold death and dying um, which i even want to slow down when i say those words how are we holding death and dying Remembering that while there are some who are startled awake by the fear of death and dying right now, there are many of us whose communities experience death and dying as a constant intimate thing, pre and post COVID. How are we with there? And it is a gorgeous thing as we sit and talk with Erica, with Kara and Shira to wonder about the spiritual mandate of this time, knowing that this is work that is about organizing. This is work that is about concrete decisions, but this is also about an imperative that underbelly that is about supporting our becoming. And then finally, it's a lot of questions to put out there. A lot of things that I'm quite sure those of you who are listening are already thinking about yourselves. What are practices? Practices we do alone, we do together. There's this gorgeous habit breaking, pattern breaking that being physically separate from each other demands is that there's a greater likelihood that we won't do what we did yesterday or before. So what are practices that help us? So there's some questions to start. And I'm pausing and y'all can't see, but I'm looking right now at Erica, at Kara, at Shira. And the question is, as you hear those things, as you are sitting in your local, in the ways that you are all deeply involved in work that is both local and national and sometimes global, that has long been in relationship to these questions and is showing up in this moment right now. I'm curious what's alive in you, what comes awake as you hear that. I know that um, I appreciate all of the 
grounding that you offered and what I am most aware of is, and my name is Kara Page and I've been working on transforming the curative model of, of healthcare for a long time, um, but really working on how do we heal from the original wounds of genocide um, and white supremacy and settler colonialism that have devalued our bodies um, because we are um, indigenous people of color, people with disabilities, um, because we are seen as already diseased or invaluable or expendable. So in this moment of COVID times and this moment of heightened fascism um, and violence and, a, and a, de, a decomposition, if you will, of the planet. This is a moment, I think, to imagine what is possible as capitalism has slowed down. And I'm finding people coming into community wanting to ask questions or imagine something different because of this COVID time, this moment that has pushed us into a metamorphosis that I don't even think we thought was possible. And I mean this in the sense of um, not a pandemic, that's always possible inside of global fascism and, um, and a, a world that's so divided. Um, but the question of how can we build interconnectedness how can we decentralize transaction and center interconnectedness and valuing each other and a mutual aid and care and safety of each other outside of state um, institutions that that is the work that I've come to believe in, but this moment actually is inviting people who I don't think could imagine these things were possible that are starting to ask, is this an invitation to do something different here and imagine something different? Kara, thank you for that. I, um, right now, this is Erica, I'm staring at a picture of Harriet Tubman and she um, often reminds me about what is possible when we, really engage our collective imagination and that we're sitting here because our ancestors imagined that we would have life. Um, our ancestors sacrificed and died so that we would have life um, and so that we would move forward a collective vision for our humanity that is just um, and, and not only rooted in our survival, but rooted in creating systems of care and, and relationships that are like divinely interconnected, right? Um, and so I have so much um, respect actually for what it means to be in this moment of chaos and disruption. Um, uh, Karen, I've been talking about this time as like a cosmic halt, <laughs> right? Where, you know, just the way we've been functioning as humans, um, we got set all the way down on our ass. And now we really have to um, look at and face certain things that, that many of us have been doing work around, but collectively there's been a lot of avoidance from those who are, um, you know, holding power um, and insistent on domination as a strategy. So 
I think uh, I've been thinking a lot about what is our relationship to um, the unknown and uncertainty at this time, but also what is our relationship to the wisdom that we actually can come back to to anchor us, and what is possible when um, when we have to be in a place of deep restriction. Like actually, there's something about this pressure that is forcing us to imagine beyond our wildest dreams. And actually, I've been so floored by how quickly um, we've been able to organize, how quickly we've been able to put together systems to take care of our people. And all these things, a lot of this infrastructure existed before, but I very much see um, those of us who have been considered most disposable by the society, we're the antidote to this situation. And so when I think about what, what the future holds, the future is the leadership of folks who are in this conversation being centered. The, the future, if we're going to survive at all as a species, really requires um, that Black and Indigenous and folks of color, sick and disabled folks, queer and trans folks, folks who are poor, um, that we actually embody and take up space in our spiritual leadership. Um, and so I love the question around the spiritual mandate because I think that is what is helping me um, make sense of what the next right action is. Um, and it helps to, you know, have Harriet staring back at me like, you know, this is not a game and we've been here before and there's a lot we can learn from the past, but there's actually so much opportunity to create. And so I think a lot about the cycles of creation and destruction that we're inside of right now. And it's really scary and there's also something that's very exciting about it. Um, and so how do, we, how do we hold both of those things and how do we hold that as these structures are disintegrating that we are gonna lose people unnecessarily? Um, it, you know, those who are most responsible for the chaos we're experiencing, they are gonna be the least impacted. Um, and that is not, that's unacceptable. Um, and I think that, you know, because my practice is so deeply rooted in, in ancestral practice, and I'm thinking a lot about folks who are crossing over at this time and how they are gonna be available to us to build this future. Um, and how important it is that we're centered in, like our grief practices that really support ourselves around our loss, but also support people to actually make it to the land of the ancestors. Um, and I keep reflecting on folks we lost just right before um the pandemic and thinking like oh i'm like oh tony morrison was like i got y'all on the other side <laughs> right <laughs> like like i know you're gonna miss me but some other shit is coming and i got you on the other side um so what is that what does that really mean for us to um come back to our ability to communicate across time and space and, and through the veil Thank you um, for that. I I could listen to this group of people talk all day, and it's kind of hard to remember to say something <laughs> because I just want to be in deep in deep listening um, with you all. And I think um, one of the things that I have been thinking about because I am like you know I have always been a houseplant person, but like right now, my my houseplants, I mean, 
we have full discussions about what to wear, where they want to live, you know, we're, we're deep, me and the houseplants. <laughs> and one of the things that I, I um, started thinking about this morning was <clears throat> one of them is flowering and it's flowering at an unexpected time. And, you know, I, I was thinking about like, I wonder what's different for this plant right now, because the things that you do to encourage growth in a plant are not the same as the things you do to encourage flowering. And so I've been thinking about how we are in this, like, some of my plants are like growing, like I can't even tell you, and some of them are flowering. And I'm not even 100% sure what's the same and what's different for each of them. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about how much this moment and the opportunity to practice that some of us never get, or some of us try to get, we, we, we try to get these moments, but, you know, I think this moment to be in like deep solidarity and actually practice deep solidarity in a daily way that takes a lot from us, you know, it's different than when the restaurant only serves Coke and you think about BDS and the waitress puts the Coke down anyway and you don't even realize or, you know, all, all of the ways in which we struggle with solidarity um, because of the practical realities that get in our way with capitalism and cost and what we have access to and how things are challenged. And right now, solidarity is our truest practice. And it's the thing that we, we are so intimately aware of how interconnected our survival is, that it is, it is like something we are doing that is full of effort and full of intention in a way that I don't know I've ever experienced. Um, and I don't know that the world has really experienced um, in the same way. I've been thinking a lot, and I can talk about this a little more later, but I've been thinking, uh, of course, a lot about um, HIV AIDS and the beginning of the HIV AIDS epidemic and uh, pandemic and some of the ways in which um, I'm so lucky because I have people in my life who've been longtime survivors, some who've passed and some who haven't. And listening to them talk about the difference between practicing what it means to be able to be in deep togetherness right now, because our solidarity is such a powerful link. And I, when I think about the future, I think about what that unexpected expected flowering will be from this like really deep moment that we're having where we are practicing and getting nurtured in ways that we really haven't had the opportunity to. Everything that you just said, Shira, and everything that Eric and Kara said, I love that the word nurturing keeps coming up and nourishing. And that's what keeps going through me just as I'm listening to your words. And what I'm being really struck by is that even in thinking about and in naming the three different podcasts 
that we're doing the three different episodes is there's a conversation that we often have which is about the scale of the change that needs to happen the scale of the history that needs to be shifted and as i'm saying this i'm actually feeling a lot of emotion coming into my body the scale of the systems the scale of the violence and that is true it needs to be named named directly and named by more and more people who have not been naming it and living it in the truth and i'm also loving that that's that's here but i'm listening to this conversation which grounds me deeply in the middle of that about what it means to be in a practice as a daily thing and this practice of trusting whether it is trusting um, the ancestors that are here that are watching that know so much more than we know and have a much broader sense again of scale the kind of scale that we're talking about the scale of the potential of change um, but that you're all breaking this down when talking about non-curative practices of care the language that you just named Kara, you know and erica talking about the ancestors and the grief practices and share as you're talking about this flowering versus um, a plant that's growing is i keep being so grateful for how local we all have to be right now um, I think that there's so often because of the scale of the change that needs to happen, the, the, the scale of, of the all of it, I can get so easily in my brain and particularly when I'm not dealing with urgent crisis in front of me in the present moment, it's so much easier for me to go into this abstraction of what change is. And the fact that each one of you just grounded into these very specific concrete practical things that of course granulate up to scale um, and I'm noticing as saying that and feeling the sense of um, you know knowing the movement some of the movements that those on this call come through is again lifting and remembering that these are the practices that disability justice practitioners that people who are living with disabilities have been naming and living in forever this is what those of us who've grown up in and who are currently living in poverty are naming the fact of interdependence the fact of solidarity is not a theory but a literal intimate and local practice of being alive um, is that that's where you all landed as we're talking about future that that's some of the nourishing energy that's coming up is just uh it's hitting me hard in a really good way in my belly I've been thinking a lot about how my day-to-day -day routines have been turned upside down um, and it's really disorienting. Um, but things that felt impossible two months ago are now very easy to do. <laughs> so that shift in perspective has been really, really helpful. And it's made me think a lot about um, how we, one of the things I think is possible is for us to see more clearly how we've internalized systems and structures of domination, even those of us who are fighting and resisting these same systems and structures. And it's the kind of intersection between ableism, capitalism, and environmental degradation has been so crystal clear <laughs> to me in a way that it's like, I knew it, it made sense to me, but there's something more tangible about it in this moment. And it's, it's forcing me to take responsibility and to rethink the ways that I've been consciously and unconsciously contributing to those systems. And so this conversation around scale, I think is really exciting because if we, if we all have um, a collective clarity like that, and that leads to different action and different practice, the scale, it won't be as daunting. And I think there's something um, 
that's unfolding on a universal level that I want to be, I want us to move in alignment with and no longer resist. Um, and I just have felt, you know, obviously a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety about the unknown. And every day I wake up and I'm like, so here's your chance. <laughs> Game on, right? Um, it, it's really now or never. Um, and a lot of the things that I've, I feel like I've been learning, cultivating, studying, um, if there feels like this ignition has really started because, you know, I, I literally, I feel like I'm thinking about the, the tarot card, the hangman, <laughs> you're, like, you're upside down. That's, you're upside down. You can't do anything about it. You're upside down. So you have to figure out how to be in that space. You have to figure out what's possible from that vantage point. I do want to name um, a different kind of invitation that I think is happening right now, um, or a different kind of conversation. For the past 15 years, I've been waiting um, for physicians and healers to um, be more visible in their integrative care models. Like, I'm not saying they're not visible, but for the world <laughs> to see the possible integration um, in relationship to earth, body, energy-based traditions and looking at integrative care or healing health models that have always been present in liberatory spaces. Um, but to see a request from more social workers, therapists, um, medical doctors and nurses in this moment who are in deep, um, deep grief in the constant death and um, healing that they are holding, um, I am getting an invitation to tables I've never been invited to, to ask the question, what does it mean to heal and ourselves or to hold immense grief in this moment and actually know this will change us. This will change us individually on a cellular level. This will change us collectively, um, again, cosmically, right? It's an invitation to actually say, I, whatever I thought, I, I just spoke to a nurse and she said, I, it wasn't that I didn't think I was impenetrable, but the savior mentality that I was taught in school or the belief that I was somehow, um, yeah, she used the word savior. Um, it's a fine line, right? To be able to heal or help or support someone and to be able to, to save them in that moment of, of crisis or need. Um, I wasn't able to imagine what that does to me, what that changes in me to be in relationship to someone's healing, not as a savior, but as someone who is participating in the healing of another, how does that change the healing of myself? And how do we even understand trauma um, on another uh, level, not psychologically or just physically, as I have another nurse friend it took us a year talking about trauma for her to see that I meant environmental psychic trauma, not triage and bleeding. <laughs> she was like, trauma is when it's blunt force and you're cut. That's what you're talking about, right? And I was like, no, this is cosmic. 
and we laugh about it now, but to see more people ask the question, oh, I'm not just, it's not just triage we're holding, we're actually holding systemic violence and oppression in the healing work we're doing, and we are holding harm and wounds, and we are impacted by that. So how will we change and be changed in this moment? And that has, I, I am so excited for the conversations I've had in the last 72 hours um, of watching people be awakened in their role as healers and healthcare providers, holding immense death and grief. I'm not trying to um, um, bring lightness around this. This is heavy work. I can't imagine I'm not on the front lines, but deeply appreciative to be invited into these conversations um, and, ha and have them rooted. Finally, I feel in a much more um, uh, tra transcendental framework, right? Like how are we going to transcend ideas of health and care, how we're going to transcend geographical borders of how we can work together. This state-by-state state shit in this country based on state-by-state state who can get equipment, state-by-state state who will be quarantined, forget about it. Or globally to not even understand why are we not calling on China and Korea and asking them, what did you learn in this moment? What do we need to learn from you because of imperialism um, and anti-Asian racism, but to just transcend. This is a moment to transcend physical, physiological, emotional, spiritual borders. And I do believe people are asking, how will this change us? And I am, in, I am so honored to be invited to these tables. You know, I was just sitting here reflecting on, it's been, it's really rich to get to listen to y'all. Um, and I had had this sort of odd thought the other day in terms of how I was thinking about movement and, and progressive politics in the United States. And I actually was like, if this was going to happen, maybe to your point, Erica, about Toni Morrison point, there's a particular kind of timing to me in a cyclical rhythm. And I think that's because the last calendar year, the last cycle through the seasons was the first time I had seen in a few years where there was not only a questioning of some of the most toxic shit that we were holding around what organizing is, but there was actually like um, a sort of making different offerings, trying new things. And like to be really specific about what I mean about that, I mean um, more and more folks, often very quietly and with a lot of humility, just being like individualism is not where I'm at, infighting for absolutely no point except tearing each other apart, outside of principle debate is not where I'm at. Celebrity activism is not where I'm at. And that's not where I'm gonna put my life force. And I'm actually gonna move into these kind of spaces that are like much more um, having the courage to engage in mass-based spaces where people do, are not agreeing with us. And I think about all of the sort of hits that a lot of people I love have taken for making different political choices to just be in the mix in a different way. And the reason I think that relates to this moment is that I just think this moment in the in the sort of listening that i'm able to do by having the privilege to get to be in a lot of different organizing spaces at different scales i'm putting that in quotes of course you can't see that when you're listening to this podcast but um 
you know, I think people have, I'm seeing so much hunger for folks to be like, I want to make a meaningful offering towards my own liberation and those of other people. I don't want to be told what to do. I don't need the cute talking points. I don't really need to see another panel. I want a particular role, right? And, and I want to be able to make that offering. And I think, Kara, what you were saying about um, healers, right? And knowing many, I, I've been so touched by the courage and want so many organizers to be inspired by the courage. I mean, one of my best friends, you know, she's a physician assistant. Her youngest child is a month old. She's like, I have four more weeks and then I'm gonna go back in. And my parents are down the street. I'm probably not gonna see them for a long time. And I'm not gonna go back to my clinic. I'm gonna go to a, a hospital in rural Wisconsin. And I know it and I'm okay, you know, and I'm ready to leave my kids and go do this. And I'm like, I think that's actually the beyond the martyrism because it's like, nobody's actually gonna know folks' names. Folks are like, I'm actually willing to do this because I feel like I wanna make a particular contribution. And so I think about in this time, like also how are we sort of tending to, where's that most marginalized of the labor that we know is so raced and classed, it's so gendered. I think of all of the, support that in some of the organizing I'm doing, we're trying to think about for midwives and doulas and folks working in reproductive health clinics and working, you know, with folks who are experiencing domestic and sexual violence where like, you know, Trump's administration is going to make sure those people don't have any masks. Like that's going to be the plan. Right. Um, and I mean, last thing I'd say, I think one of the things that has made me think a lot about the future is thinking about, I've been hearing from, from midwife and doula networks that, you know, they're very exhausted and under-resourced with equipment because usually they're in a process where one, not that many people want to have babies outside of hospitals. And two, those people aren't coming terrified a week away from a due date with very little financial resources and a bunch of cortisol and stress running through their body. And, you know, those babies, like, those babies, like, where's the, where's the opportunity, the futurity of, like, those babies could be born into something beautiful if we help to hold down the practitioners that can help them be come into the space given the hard conditions of the birthers. Um, and I think that like that that also to me makes me think about or like we can continue to not hold the you know we can we can continue to not advance the same solidarity that Shira is talking about that we're hearing and 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 let those practitioners be exhausted to the point where they can't do their best work for those, those tiny humans that this is the time they're gonna be born in, you know? So I just think that shit is, is very deep and, and comes up for me when I'm listening about y'all's work because I'm very inspired by it. And Caitlin, that is so perfect. And I was actually about to kick something to you, Shira, and then actually invite it as a, I can't believe closing question. I sort of feel like we are in this moment where this again is the conversation that we are living and breathing in and I recognize time. But what keeps going on as we're talking is to think about the future and, and share and, and share and Erica, both of your work, but share right now I'm going to come to you is there's I often think about how um, How much I learned from my elders who were organizing in the 60s and 70s, particularly when um, some of the organizations of third world women were really first identifying safety as this radical thing that folks had access to and the right to and the word safety at that point had a kind of a radical depth around the work before it again became co-opted and non-profitized and all the rest of those things that happened and uh, the safety whose safety in the room became a transactional sort of uh, conversation and i'm thinking in this moment of envisioning the future share you're one of the people who i have learned so much from 
about what it means to pay attention in an on the ground present moment way to the safety and the wellness of people who are in the room with a strong focus on that word safety and wellness being embedded within it. And as we sit here, and this is a, a sort of an ask of you, Shira, to, to think about this, um, and it's really a, a kind of a closing question to all. It's not a, what do we need to be aware of in the warning way, although that's in there, and Caitlin, you just lifted up some of the things that we need to watch for. It is a taking seriously, here is the opportunity and also feeling clarity about, again, the scale of the change that we're making. Um, how do we hold, how are we, you know, it's, it's again, movement, you know, be the work as we are doing the work. It's all of those pieces, but how are we holding that practice um, at whatever level, again, scale in quotes, of, of how we are holding safety, how we are holding this as we are doing this work. Um, my brain just exploded in about 20 directions. So the end of my question just kind of got more vague rather than direct. So rather than spending more time talking to explain, I'm gonna check with you, Shira, and say, is there something that's rising in you with what I just said? Because um, I'm feeling so much right now that has you in the middle of it. Um, well, thank you for thinking of me. And I, I'm wondering, are you asking me what is on top for me around tending to safety in the future? Yes, gorgeous. Um, okay, I mean, these are the things I'm spinning out about in my, you know, these are the things keeping me awake. I'm thinking, so much about the increased policing and surveillance that this has become a blank check for. Um, and I'm thinking about how the increase of surveillance is being talked about around health and healthcare in a way that we know has always been happening. It's one of the biggest barriers that people in the sex trade and street economy face when trying to access services is the tight linking of police to hospitals and healthcare. So we've known that that link has been alive and well for a very long time. And the research of Young Women's Empowerment Project demonstrated that really directly. But I think the mass funding and the mass movement that directly links surveillance and health in a, in a wildly overt way, while at the same time making, like I, I, I saw um, the post from Changing Frequencies that you posted, Kara, um, this morning, or maybe you posted, I saw it this morning, um, that said decriminalize disease. And I think like, I'm thinking about the ways in which we've expanded criminalization to include being outside of your house right now um, in a way that so many of us already struggle. You know, it's already a victory to get <laughs> for, for black and brown and trans people to move beyond our own doors because we know that the threat is so real 
And so, um, so I'm highly concerned about that. And then I'm also thinking so much about people in the sex trade and people with HIV right now, because there are so many ways that this virus is going, I believe, to land and stay with us. Um, Street-based people we know are already disproportionately hit, and we also understand how people with disabilities and chronic illness are being disproportionately impacted. And so I am very aware of how, like, I think the, this, we are a very impatient country. Um, and I think that what will ultimately happen, because it's true, people with disabilities, we know how to get through this time. Like, we are doing a really good job taking care of ourselves and taking care of each other and taking care of our communities. And also, people are going to go, the, the capitalism is going to save itself by putting people back to work before that's possible. And people are going to feel relieved to be out in the world again. And I'm very concerned about those of us who are going to wind up quarantining much longer and the isolation and lack of resources that's going to be available to us, both through systems and through community as we need to do that. And I think because this is going to live and stay alive with um, trans queer people of color, HIV positive sex workers, people who are street based for so long. So, and that we are so vulnerable to the worst impact of COVID that we are actually conveniently disposable. This is the way capitalism gets to reinvent itself is because we are we are, they believe us to be expensive, right? They believe us to be expensive to the system. And so um, this solves a lot of questions around, um, this solves a lot of questions around Medicaid and Medicare because fewer people, more people will need it at first and fewer people in the long run. Like there's, there's all these ways in which I, I don't, believe we're seeing a pause in capitalism. I think we are seeing just what it looks like when the machine opens its mouth wider. And we're at that moment where more people are getting shoveled in. Um, it's right before or during. So I could go on with the things I'm terrified of, but um, you know, I'll let, I want you all to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I pause to see if anybody else wanted to come in is I want to hear you say those things a lot of them are going through my head as well and if you are not sleeping we are not sleeping and that's the practice right now on the ground and I'm looking at Erica um, and at Kara and just noticing in this moment both those things as Cher is naming them that are they're already true and they're emerging and they're true and at the same time as we're arcing towards the end of this conversation that there is 
all of what we spent the first half of, half, uh, half of this conversation talking about are the opportunities. And there is this marriage of those things coming together or a uh, consensual relationship of those things coming together. Um, that's what I'm listening for right now. Um, I'm curious about any reflections you might have. Um, first, I just want to say a million times yes to everything Shira said. Um, I, a lot of us are not sleeping, and that is a very human response to this time. Um, I echo all of those fears, and I think um, some of the other things that I'm really concerned about are the way um, white nationalists and vigilantes are organizing themselves right now. Um, have been organizing themselves. The you know one of the for me the most terrifying experiences is to encounter white folks right now who feel very afraid and panicked, <laughs> right? Um, so I'm I'm concerned about um, what you know even the minimal amount we have to leave our homes to you know buy groceries or take care of ourselves or you know God forbid breathe fresh air, um, how that is going to put a lot of us at risk for. Um, physical violence and also, you know, the violence that we know is happening um, through Zoom specifically. Um, I think one one opportunity that I'm really excited about is thinking about mental health practitioners in particular um, making a very um, clear choice to no longer collude with the state um, to actually make choices to intervene around the medical industrial complex. Um, and specifically the mental health system, and to actually um, take a more bold stance around um, creating alternative models, subverting systems that we work inside of, um, and, that, and that folks are less afraid of being targeted because we do this um, in a way that's organized. Um, I think that what's, what's after this experience is what is really rooted in like our imagination but also what we do now and what we keep doing so i keep thinking about um you know just how horrified and traumatized it was to be a black person after hurricane katrina and to witness what happened um in new orleans and to then for for a lot of people not necessarily for me and a lot of folks who were directly impacted but a lot of people just went back to business as usual um and so that is very, very, very um, possible. And there are people who are trying to accelerate the let's get back to normal. Um, and I think because we're all experiencing this collective traumatic experience, we might unconsciously um, help to accelerate that. And that is going to mean that some of these kind of future possibilities that are a little bit more hopeful and life affirming um, aren't gonna happen. Um, and that image of capitalism's mouth opening wider that yes i'm like that visual will probably stay with me um i won't blame you share if i if i'm up late tonight <laughs> but i might text you <laughs> <laughs> definitely text me i deserve it <laughs> um yes amazing um, thank you. I wanted to clarify because I did say capitalism is paused. And I think what I meant was because disease-based capitalism is not paused, but at the same time, there is a rise of a care economy that I have not seen at this level. So um, <clears throat> really understanding that 
we are still operating inside of capitalism, but to watch folks create um, systems or practices or mutual aid networks of care and not be stopped by, but we don't have money to do it. That's, so let me just be clear about what I meant is that that next to capitalism feels or, or generates this idea of, oh, something is possible outside of it being always connected to capitalism. Um, and that includes safety. I mean, I just got off of a call of imagining how are we gonna intervene and respond to anti-Asian racism and xenophobic violence that's increasing across the country. Um, and what does it mean to not replicate and perpetuate um, this uh, pathology of communities like we did when, when everyone targeted African communities during Ebola? or gay communities during HIV AIDS and sex workers during HIV AIDS. Um, and the evolution of these diseases, I think when we think about safety, I'm deeply concerned about big corporations and technology and the abuse of um, data surveillance, um, that they will become more so even than they were before an extension of police. Um, and state models of surveillance and policing by using data, medical data, you know, as Shira was speaking to, or even understanding the relationship to telemedicine and what does it mean to, to do all of these things online or to close uh, hospitals. That, the hospital closures were already happening in the Southeast or other parts of the country to move more to telemedicine and um, already understanding the massive lack of access. You want to talk about the birthing industry and what does it mean to shut down hospital, hospitals in some of the most rural neighborhoods in the southern part of this country um, and not, not be able to keep up with what is, what is the long-term effect? How is this a slow genocide um, of black and brown communities? So I am still catching up with how telemedicine will continue that, that path. Um, and I do think I am really in this place of opportunity, so which is surprising to me, but since we're talking about future, um, I do think this is a generative moment to build more infrastructure for integrative care that is deeply rooted in ancestral uh, traditions that have been criminalized um, be, from displacement, from attempted genocide, to literally displace us from understanding our traditions to the earth, our traditions to farming, to herbalism. I, I see a, re, a remembering of practice in this urgent moment and because we need to rely on it because we can't, we can't go outside or, or, or we're having to even understand what can we grow in our homes in this moment. I'm fascinated by people picking up or finding herbalism in their, own, um, in their own ideas of taking care of family or community around um, care, care strategies. And I just think, oh, I believe if we just remember that when, when the button goes beyond pause, when it starts to accelerate, I think it's absolutely going to go tenfold as soon as the quarantining is over. Um, the capitalist big machine, big mouth is going to come hard and fast. But I'm really hoping we, are, we don't forget what we're creating right now. And how do we 
do this for the long haul, but how do we get funders to fund it and resource it and actually build infrastructure around it so that it lasts? Um, because the level of care work to see people funding death doulas, um, to see people funding midwives, to see people saying, I want to fund domestic care or domestic workers, I'm like, okay, people. Like, <laughs> if we know how to do this, how are we going to build this to something much um, larger? And I'm, I gotta believe that this momentum um, could actually manifest itself in ways that can counter state and counter a disease-based economy that was already here, but um, is definitely gonna leverage this moment. Kara, I think you just named one massive chunk of the spiritual mandate of this moment. And it makes me think of what elders have always taught me, right? Which is that we sit in this moment and we have to do two things at exactly the same time, not minimize or shrink away from that which is the most difficult, the most violent, the most horrific, the most true in this moment. And at the exact same time and without contradiction, live into the possibility that is equally as large and to hold both in a constant way and to then let the future be the thing that emerges from that. Um, as our um, beloved Nora, who's helping keep track, has given, you know, just checked in on time, is I'm going to ask each of us as we've got one more go around before we before we get off and hello everyone who is listening to this and is with us. We are absolutely remembering you while we are having this conversation is that we, you know, Erica brought in so beautifully what I think so many of us are holding is that we do this work in relationship to our ancestors. And then, of course, we also do this work in relationship to our descendants. And we are talking about a future that is going to happen whether or not we want to with the massive mouth of capitalism and the massive potential of opportunity is all here. And so I'm wondering as a last thing and, you know, give folks a second to think about this. Hey, beloved audience, this is just coming out right now. So nobody's prepared it. What is something in this moment that we might share for our descendants, whether it is a blessing, it is a story. It is a, um, a warning. It is a moment of, of wisdom, of clarity, um, that is an offering or a gift moving forward. Um, and those of you who are listening to this, please take a second to think about this for yourself as well. Do this alongside with us. Um, and, <laughs> and, yeah. I just want to say I'm trying to, I, I deeply believe in cultural work as part of transformation and healing. So I'm trying to like find the right poem. I have all these poem pieces moving to my head. I'm like, oh, come on, Joy Harjo, Gwendolyn <laughs> Brooks, Sonia Sanchez. Write one right now, um, Kara. <laughs> so that's why I'm, I'm taking my pause to remember. Mm. Um, some cultural magic. I've been working with a couple phrases every day. Um, and, you know, I definitely come from like slogan culture because I grew up in like 12 step and harm reduction. 
So, you know, I definitely like one day at a time has never been more meaningful. Um, and also the serenity prayer has, you know, never been more meaningful. I've also been sitting a lot with something that I believe it was Adrian Marie Brown um, said, um, which was, I was born for this time. And I've been um, telling myself that when I'm most scared. Um, I believe that we have been building the tools and the strategies for the last, since the civil rights era and before. And I believe we've been consciously collecting and mining and putting away for later. When I think about pod mapping um, and I think about all the ways that transformative justice and uh, community accountability work and reproductive justice work has like laid so much groundwork. And let's be real, harm reduction is everything we know how to do right now. And if it wasn't for our black, brown, queer and trans ancestors, some of whom are still with us and may be taken out by this moment um, is, we have everything we need. We don't always know where we put it, but we have everything we need. And so I, I also just keep sitting with, I'm in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing. And we are all here on purpose um, and we are all here with purpose. And we've been building and collecting this arsenal on purpose because we have always needed it. And we're gonna keep doing that and keep using those tools into the future. And I am so excited to see how this moment shapes people who are 10 through 20 right now and the creativity and imagination and ways that they will see themselves in the world will give us the next wave of harm reduction and the next wave of, um, mutual aid and the next wave of disability justice um, and racial justice work. That was so beautiful, Shaya, thank you. Um, shout out to Harm Reduction. <laughs> Shira and I have talked about how grateful <laughs> um, we are to just have come up in that movement. And I think when you first posed that question, Susan, what came up in my spirit first and foremost was an apology actually and an acknowledgement um that we all we always want our descendants to not have to suffer in the ways that we've suffered right and i'm, I'm thinking about um my ancestors who you know sacrificed so much um but then right after that i felt really clearly this kind of appreciation for the larger cycles of time that are unfolding right now. Um, and a lot of what we're talking about right now, um, our peoples have been resisting around for hundreds of years. And so I think my offering to future generations would be to call upon that wisdom, but also to, um, to really lean into what's possible now, because young people who are 
um, coming into themselves in this particular moment um, are going to have gifts and resources and strategies that, you know, us old folks might not be able to imagine. Um, and so I just have a lot of trust. I have a lot of trust. And um, my, my hope is that if we're passing the torch in a way that is full of integrity and responsible, but also full of hope and full of the wisdom that transcends time. Um, and I have a lot of, yeah, actually today, earlier today, I talked to uh, my nibblings and they're living their best life right now. They're like, it's vacation forever and I don't have any homework and I'm, you know, playing all the games and, you know, they're, they're actually, um, some younger people are really coping a lot better than the rest of us. Um, and, and I think that there's something to be said for, um, the curiosity um and the the presence that being around little ones and also uh the fur babies of the world it just brings you to the present moment what can we value and appreciate about this time um and so i'm as much as i want to offer something <laughs> to the future generations i know that even the generations that have yet to be born are offering us something as well yes beautiful it's all been said i'm just gonna give an offering from Joy Harjo from one of my favorite poems by her, Map to the Next World, just the ending. We were never perfect, yet the journey we make together is perfect on this earth, who was once a star and made the same mistakes as humans. We might make them again, she said. Crucial to finding the way is this. There is no beginning or end. You must make your own map. I was literally um, taking a very long bike ride, Kara, and listening to Joy Harjo's just the audible, you know, little nerdy things. Um, this conversation, just getting to listen and contribute a little bit to this conversation has been a huge gift. Um, and I think um, I also want to lean into the possibility that all of you were talking about and the pos the very, very, real reality that, um, you know, we're in this time for a particular reason. And I think that what's powerful to me also is, I think the, the sort of accompaniment to the question of mutual aid. And also I'm completely fascinated with the idea of like what harm reduction means in this time and what it can mean. And the sacred like work that's actually passed forward around that. Um, is also what it means to um, be able to think about the leadership that's moving right now, how we think about mutual aid, not as communities that are sort of gated, either spiritually, emotionally, financially, or by social network. And I think about that a lot in terms of geography, having only lived in purple or red states and, and never lived in any blue states in the United States in my life. Like, how do we make sure that that we are, are willing to support future generations around feeling like they can be strong stewards of publicness, public togetherness. Um, and I think about that because it's been, it's been powerful to see how um, beloved friends of mine who, who come from poverty and are folks of color who are elected officials in this time, how they've struggled 
with what right stewardship and relationship looks like in this time. And five years ago, I didn't have anyone like that. I mean, I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up with, with, you know, coming up with folks who were actually inside of those kinds of roles at all. I didn't know anyone. Um, even in movement, I didn't know, know anyone. And so I wonder, like, again, with this idea of, like, 10 to 20-year-olds or, or these folks in a particular age, like, how are they going to feel about and how are they going to, like, have the gift of moving forward a very different kind of set of consciousness and tools and skills around interdependent, caring, radically liberated um, just literally straight up civic infrastructure or any way that we choose to organize ourselves as humans and, and hoping that um, that can be something that then impacts um, places and spaces and what comes forth and that this will be a deeply both politicizing moment and experience for young ones and those who come forward, but also a spiritually transformative time and space. Right now I'm just feeling so deeply the words that everybody has just said. Um, and I want to offer this phone call, this moment. I'm sitting here with the privilege of looking at a screen where there are people who've been building trust and relationship for a lot of years, who have struggled together, who are feeling both aligned and different in this moment the fact of the amount of humility on this call. Um, and, in, and when I name that, I also want to name Anjali, who's a part of this, but is not speaking, is just here to li listen without any confusion about that. Um, and maybe that's just, and, 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 and by the, the word humility, as soon as I said that, there was a big woof that happened inside. So it's less of a charge to those who come after for to be humble because you know humility is more the ground that is those of us who are alive right now sitting within um, and it's also a practice uh, or a promise to sit in in that that place of clarity about what is right now and what is possible deep awareness of not knowing and an absolute commitment to keep building relationship and to stay to stay and to stay um, so that this conversation, if it would have seven people on a computer screen or whatever that looks like 50 or 100 years from now, is it doesn't have to be exactly the same conversation. Is that there's something different that is beyond, beyond what I or any of us can imagine right now. So whatever the practices are to get there. So much gratitude to everyone who is on this call, um, Caitlin and Nora, for the fact of fortification, the fact of a very quick shift and turn and opening as Kara, um, Anjali, and I came and said, there's a conversation. Kara uh, and Anjali for love and work and for how this will build and the fact that you are holding two other parts of this conversation that are very necessary. Um, Erica and Shira, because of who you are in the world and the ways in which you are in relationship to those on this call and also in all kinds of other ways in relationship to others living exactly the things you just said, that when we had a moment of saying, who do we want to listen to and hear? And people haven't been able to see, but one of the chats that's been going on has been like really lifting up the Erica and Shira podcasts for the future. Um, but in this moment of just going, who do we want to listen to? Where is the help? 
where's the wisdom? Because we need it as much as everybody else. Um, not only did you come forward, step forward, but also you just unfolded, got bigger and helped us get bigger on this call. Um, so thank you. And to everyone who is listening, may you be safe and well in all the ways those things have been talked about on this call. Um, and may we keep learning from you as much as you've learned from us on this call. Thanks all. Thank you.